too. So, boom. If, if you hear some Christmas music in the background, my kids are practicing upstairs. So it'll just be a. I don't think you'll be able to hear it, but it's okay if you do. All right, Kevin Sweeney. Great to see you again. As we're meeting today, I can see beautiful, sunshiny Hawaii out your window. And out my window is, I think, our first snowstorm of the year. So it's amazing what a, a few miles in between us can do. But I'm excited to have you on the show. We met last year for the making of a mystic. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, er, that was early this year. Yeah. Oh, was that? Yeah. So that was 2021 yeah. that came out, correct? No, no, no. It came out May of this year. Yeah. Oh, that was so and you're just reeling another one out in less than a year, making us all look bad. I appreciate no, that. No, I I really intentionally like pitched after my first deal, pitched my publisher on having the two books pretty close to each other because they were both done. Like when my first book came out, this book was done. Oh, okay. So you didn't like get done with your first book and then start going on. No, so these were I, both in the hopper. I'm like, even for people listening, I was you know, so unaware of how the publishing industry worked, where most people who do it, the general thing is, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to pitch a book, you know, give you a proposal, you commit to it. I write it after you commit to it. And then we move forward. And for me at the, at like the end of summer, 2020, I just wrote the whole book. Nice. Okay. And I was done. And then in early 2021, this is even for people when it comes to you know, hustling and ambition and just being intentional with how you and putting yourself out there and pushing forward. When I was shopping the book in the beginning of 2021, it was still COVID in our church. And, you know, we weren't doing a lot, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I had this other book in me. So I started writing the second when I was still shopping the first. So when I got the deal on the the first one, I was like on my way to writing the second. So it, it worked out well where I was like, man, when my first book came out, I didn't I had two done. So it was really a cool thing to kind of move start like that. Yeah. Well, and it is kind of a, you know, it is a good thing because a lot of times authors like myself, great example, I just put out the first book and I'm already stressing out about getting a second book out in a reasonable amount of time. If you want to be considered an author, right? Mm. You can't like put one out and put another one out a decade later and expect there to be traction mm. from the first one still, you know? So I kind of mm. like the way that you thought of it and, yeah. uh, and you're yeah. in a different stage now, right? So the new book is called the joy of letting go. And we're going to get into that in a minute. And you're in a new stage. Last time we talked for this podcast, anyway, you had just told me that all right, I'm I'm stepping down from the church, wow. like a new season mm. of life, and so now you've been doing that for a number of months now. No longer, you know, a pastor in that sense, anyway. No. Um, and now an author. I I saw you out there, you know, talking about getting out there speaking and things like that. So tell us a little bit about what's been going on over the last six months for you. Yeah, our last Sunday. So my wife and I started and led a church like in the unofficial arts district in Honolulu. It's a neighborhood called Kakako. It's where I am right now. And we started and led a church for about 10 years. So that's a long time. 10 years is a long time to give yourself to something. And especially when it's something that was born out of you, right? When you start like a company, a business or whatever it is, or a church, that's a long time to give yourself to something you go through a lot pastoring, you go through a lot church planning, um, great things, really hard things. And our last, <clears throat> excuse me, our last Sunday was May 29th. And then my book, my first book came out two days later. 
So it was a really unique and amazing threshold transitional moment. And I remember at the last, right around this time last year, my wife and I were coming to terms with, okay, this is the last chapter of this church and it's not a rebuilding one. And around Christmas, we pretty much decided and we were going to come back January and announce. And I wrote the outro to the book, The Joy of Letting Go, as I was on right at the edge of letting go of the church that we started. So it was a really unique timing, even for me personally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, with the first book and this one and my wife and I do some coaching with like burnt out and traumatized like clergy through a great organization and retreat center called Kaneo. If anyone's interested, just look up Kaneo, K-I-N-E-O retreat center. It's run by a guy named Dan White Jr. And his wife, Tanya. And it's amazing. Like, my wife's on the board, Chuck DeGroat's on the board, like great group of people. And we do coaching with them. My wife's also on the board and I'm writing, but it's still a season of uncertainty. You know, I'm 38 years old and I was 37, I think, when I made the decision. And I just thought, wow, I'm all approaching 40 and I'm enter and I'm taking another big risk. And I'm entering into the unknown again, and I'm entering into an uncertainty again, and I'm allowing my vocational life to begin again, and in a sense, to be born again, even here. And even with the book, The Joy of Letting Go, is whenever we are truly doing the work of letting go, there's always more life ahead. Mm -hmm. And are you You a person that when we talk about letting go, I know for some people, the idea of you know, change or doing something different brings about excitement. And for other people, it brings about a lot of trepidation. Uh, I know for you, again, last time we talked, you talked about, you know, when you moved into that point of pastoral uh, as well, when you planted the church, that was a big transition for you guys as well. And so, you know, now a decade down the line, you're doing it again. Is this something that brings you excitement? Is it something that scares the crap out of you somewhere in the middle? Like, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I, relative to what I would say is a conventional approach to change, I have an unusual comfortability with uncertainty. I think for the mystic, you know, we become great friends with mystery and uncertainty because we don't have to hold on to things very tightly. You know, I, whether it's beliefs that I have a role that I have like that, there, there's a great freedom, even in transitioning out of imagine and closing down imagine where along the way I had this deep, not just conceptual belief, but experiential knowing of, I am not imagine. Mm -hmm. Imagine is the pri- I always, I looked at it like imagine is the primary vehicle through which the life of God is flowing through me into this world and the vehicle will change mm-hmm. and it has now and that doesn't mean and you can be fully committed to something and totally free from it as well I'm not that thing that's what I'm doing right now and so I think not being over identified with roles helps us transition and move on well and also to me, this whole story is one that we see of incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection. There's always more life after the death. That's what the story, that's what creation, that's what the universe keeps telling us at so many levels. And when I come to the edge of this, I think to myself, I've been here before. I've faced uncertain, great forms of uncertainty. I've taken great risks with my life in many different ways, vocationally, interpersonally. And when I come to the edge of imagine in a decade of my life, I think, wow, 
it's crazy to be in this place. And yet I've been here before. And every single time I've allowed old things to die and trusted the unknown, more and more life keeps emerging. There's small versions of that. There's really big ones. So I'm on the edge of a really big one entering into another 10 year chapter of my life. And I don't fully know what that looks like. Even I'm in it right now. <laughs> right. We're literally I'm in it. I'm not. Yeah, like I I have writing and the coaching, but th- that still isn't everything I'll be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still another, I can sense there's another flow ahead for me, but I'm not there yet. I'm in another massive liminal space I've, between decades of my life. Like mm-hmm. the joy of letting go, I am in the middle of a big form of letting go right now. Yeah, that's amazing. My wife and I, we were talking through a, an Advent experience that we're working on right now. and uh, And I think, even just from a professional level, and we've been married 25 years, I'm in my mid 40s. Wow. We've we've done big transitions, big what we'd call leaps of faith, I think six times in our marriage where it's been a complete like, shut this down, start this. And it does like it's and we as well, like just about a month ago, entered into another one of those phases where disconnected from an organization that I'd been working mm-hmm. for. And again, in this place of like, all right, let's make a go of it with what we really feel in our heart. And it's amazing. The more that you do it, the more comfortable it becomes. And then the more that you believe in yourself and, mm. and what maybe your place in the world is currently, I know for me, you know, that's, that's a big part of it is just believing that I have, whether it's through, you know, speaking or writing or whatever, podcasting, having that space in this world, excited to, to be a part of that space. And then the letting go actually feels like a, and maybe you can relate, feels like a great sense of freedom because mm. you're letting go of one thing in order to move towards another thing. And sometimes like for me, I didn't really want to let go of that thing, but then it eventually just happened. And Mm. I was so thankful for it, you know? Mm. And so this letting go piece and, you know, talking about identity uh, again, I love my, my wife always says, you know, how, when we meet each other, people always say, well, what do you do for a living? And then people are supposed to give what they do for work as if that's their identity. And she always asks Mm. people, what's your passion in life right now? Mm. I was like, what Mm. a better question to ask because that might be different today than it was yesterday as opposed to my Mm. career that might my career might just be the way I feed my kids or pay for my mortgage you know who knows Mm. but it's amazing how stuck in that identity piece we can get if we're not careful yeah every time you let go you begin again and every time you begin again a part of you is born again Mm -hmm. because we can get stuck like that's in the book is letting go is not one thing we do alongside of everything else. Letting go is that which maintains the flow of everything we do. So to me, letting go isn't one thing. It's actually beneath the surface of everything. And mm. that book for me, the engine of it is we want thoughts on being brave. We want new ways to think about God with deconstructing. Well, that's just your beliefs. That's just changing beliefs. What you're going to do, you should be doing again and over and over and over again. And we want books about the permission to allow our lives to be unfinished and messy. And that's all necessary. And it's all good. I'm like, but if we're honest, we aren't that interested in reading books or hearing things about acceptance, dying and letting go. And if we're really honest, we're even less interested in actually doing these things. (laughs) And I laugh because I think, you know, letting go is the least inspirational topic that people can think of. And which creates this weird dilemma for me as a writer. So I'm like, the one thing I want to write about is the last thing anyone wants anything to do with. And yet 
it's we're uninterested or unwilling to do the one thing that I believe has the power to give us everything, which is letting go. Because so often people are angry or stuck and struggling to move forward. And I'm like, after all of the rage and the blame and the name calling and the threats and the pity parties and the explosive outrage of God in life, which is all fine because it's all part of the process. Eventually, when I look at people, there's pro- in your life, when you're in those places, there's probably something really hard you have to accept, which means there's something really hard you have to let go of. And I'm like, it sucks. I know. I'm like, we'd rather just get angrier at injustice and rage against the machine harder. Why we are, we'd rather just show up to another thing and sing louder and worship harder, whatever that means. We'd rather read another book about being present instead and trying to figure stuff out in our minds. I'm like, we wish so often we wish we could just move faster, work harder, become more determined. And after all, this is the book after all those impulses fire off in your body and race through your stream of consciousness, eventually there's probably something we need to accept and let go of. And that's it, but it's the joy of letting go. The last things you wanna let go of are usually the things that are getting in the way of the very freedom, peace, and joy you desire. That's some of the great mysteries of dying and letting go. We, David Foster Wallace says, everything I ever let go of has claw marks on it. (laughs) And I think, well, it doesn't have to be that way. Most people, only really let go of things or die to things. And that's the, by the way, letting go of something and dying to something is the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, most people only really let go of things when life feels like it forces them to. Like when Roar says, you know, that transformation is great love and great suffering. It's because suffering clarifies things and forces you to see things you otherwise don't want to see. And then, and only then maybe Will you start to move on from things that are no longer helping you? It doesn't have, but to me, I I think it doesn't have to be that way. We can voluntarily let go of things, not because they're crushing us currently, but because they're getting in the way of more and more freedom. And the mystic, the one, the love, the great lovers of God, to me, if you're a Christian and following Jesus and trusting more of the uncertainty and the unfolding of your own life with God, letting go can become a more organic thing because... You're like, there's life after this. Well, there's the life challenge. after death. Yeah. The challenge, I think, with that specific idea in some ways is that, unfortunately, kind of our modern view of Christianity has been more of a holding on to as opposed to a letting go. You know, it's much less mystic mm. uh, focused than mm. it is, uh, you know, it, and it is a bit of a modern version of Christianity and church. And it's this idea mm. that we have to hold, you'll even hear it in a church, we have to hold tightly to xyz right as opposed Mm. to this idea of being able to let go yet you see we follow this this savior Mm. we follow this jesus all Mm. he did was let things go Mm. and people you know and he wild wildly confused all the religious leaders of the time because of his ability to let go even of some of the you know the ways that commands were lived out and some of the ways Mm. that the scriptures were lived out and so i think you know this idea of the joy of letting go it's such an important work that you're putting out there because whether people are excited about the idea of it or not, it's a necessary movement forward for us individually, for sure, and also as a whole. And there's a lot of people I know that are continuing to be a part of communities that they don't really even want to be a part of 
but they don't know how to let go of it because they fear that mm. if they let go on the other side is loneliness. And a lot of times when mm. I get an opportunity to interact with people like that, I can let them know that actually on the other side of that is a new community and a, a huge sense of freedom. And you don't know, you know, mm. you don't know who's going to hang in there with you and who's not, but don't stay in that thing just because you think you're supposed to, or because you're just mm. hanging on to the past or whatever, mm. you know? And so I, yeah, even though that's... I hear what you're saying, you know, like this isn't a book that maybe, everybody's going to jump up and down. Like if you put, you know, deconstruction, the joy of letting go, then everybody's going to buy your book. But if you just put the joy, <laughs> because everybody loves that word, but just, mm. you know, the idea of just letting go, I think it's something a lot of us have a hard time with because we love certainty. I don't, but I mean, I think our culture yeah. loves certainty. Yeah. For me, I find, yeah, I think I find the wonder of and mystery of God much more alive mm. in all of the uncertainty. And yet, you know, mm. I, I still have a roof over my head. I'm still doing all right. Yeah, there. Yeah, no. It's it's interesting the ways in which our actual communities and and traditions and churches actually shape us to hold on mm -hmm. and to grip things tighter. It's like stand up for Jesus, hold on to your beliefs. This is all out of your own strength and willpower. It's why War talks about willpower Christianity. And I'm like the mystic. You don't. It's not about holding on to beliefs. It's trusting that you're being held. That's actually the radical sense of release and freedom of knowing God is knowing God isn't knowing about God. It's actually being known by God, being seen by God, being loved by God. These are all things we let go of control and allow to happen. So all of the deeper stuff happens without holding on, without gripping things so tightly. But with even specifically with what you said with churches, I remember I tell a story in the book where about it's a story about when I was at an event in New York City and it's, you know, it brings together leading thinkers on contemplative spirituality, the unfolding nature of consciousness, the faith of the future. I'm like, my Bible college professors would not approve of this event. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, during a break, we go and, you know, we eat and we're drinking and I go on some rant about who knows the difference between waking up and growing up and how our beliefs can't save us and things we're talking about right now. And a guy from the table who, um, a guy from the, I was saying in the book, a guy from the South who's much more comfortable in the conservative Christian household than I am. And they're just a great guy. You know, we're friends. He's much more comfortable in the current living conditions of evangelicalism than I've been for a very long time. And when I finished talking, he told me listening to me was like getting on a bus and going on a grand adventure. And he's like, while on this exciting journey, he said everything he sees out the window is so beautiful and seems so exciting. And it just looks like this unparalleled atmosphere of freedom. But he finished by saying, but I just can't go there with you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's interesting. He sees beauty and excitement and freedom, but he can't go with me, which for me raises the question, why? Why yeah. would someone get a glimpse of an increased experience of freedom and beauty and decide to stay where they are? Right? Yeah, Is, we, are they crazy, scared? Yeah. I don't know. We had a situation once, um, my wife and I, we, used, we pastored a, a community that we started strictly for poor and homeless people in our community, people living on the margin. So basically we had this church that on a given Sunday, when people would show up, like, Half the people just rolled in from the streets. Half the people didn't even know who Jesus was. It was this beautiful community of just this wildly diverse group of people. I remember this one couple, there was this young couple, they roll in one day and, uh, and they obviously did not pull up 
from, you know, they didn't roll up from out of their tent. You know, they obviously had some means and they pulled in there and, and they, I remember the, the woman looking at me and she said, this is the type of church I think Jesus would go to. And then they never came back again, mm. but they were from, you know, the city that the church was in. They never right. showed their face again. If you really believe the same question, like it was in my mind as what you just said, like, if you can't get off that bus, if you can't come down to this place that you think is the place that Jesus would, would frequent, like, what is the bigger question that needs to be? Yeah. And that, that, and that's where, you know, when I say letting goes beneath the surface, cause let's say, let's go back to that story. I could say, what is that person scared of? Are they scared? They won't fit back in their church. Mm-hmm. Are they scared? They'll lose their job in ministry. Are they scared? They're going to go too far from quote unquote home scared. If they open up to new ways of seeing God, they don't know where they're going to end up on the spectrum of belief. Like right. maybe they're worried. God will be mad at them for believing differently. If a lot of people do, you know, maybe they're worried God will punish them or, you know, somehow, their movement forward might compromise their ability to uh, take care of themselves financially, right? Even that small story reveals a complicated relationship we have with growth. But to me, I'm like, change is never about betraying where you've been. It's always about becoming who you are. Yeah, that's so true. Always. Yeah. And that's, and we should always be unfolding into a newer, better version of ourselves as life moves forward. It's, you know, it's interesting now just because of the space that people like you and I are in, like, I'll have people come up to me and like at the book launch party, a guy came up and he's like, I know because there's going to be pictures of me with you that I'll have to answer to some people. I was like, why why like this is this is insane like what are you hanging i, I wish you would have been by my side so you could have just been like what are you hanging on to, man? Like, what, is it worth it i don't know it just mm. seems odd to me but yeah the and i know for me you know the letting go has brought a lot of a lot of freedom now i read the making of a mystic super fun read love here you know i love a great story so if it's a book mm. full of stories i'm all in and so share mm. with us a little bit about the makeup event of the joy of letting go and you know what we can expect it comes out january 3rd so mm-hmm. we're going to put this podcast out as close to that date as possible and um but what can we expect when we open up that book what we what are we mm. going to experience yeah. Yeah. No, it's, a, I appreciate that. And it's a, it's a very practical layout. And that's what, for me, I think everything I write about is very on the ground. You know, I try to write about like, if the cosmic Christ, and when we talk about a belief and people think it's strange, no, this is about actually our day to day, like letting go is about everything we do. And like, the purpose of the book is to show you that letting go, like I said, is not simply one thing we do, but it's, it's that which maintains the flow of everything we do. So each chapter focuses on a specific topic and then names the unique challenges of it and the ways we get stuck within it. And then it's like, when we're stuck there, this is some form of letting go to sustain peace and joy while we're doing it. So for example, there's a chap- there's a chapter about being present, a chapter about joy, chapter about working for justice, chapter about growing and evolving, chapter about inclusion, about compassion. And, and it's each chapter is naming it and then saying, here's the things we have to let go of in order to not only do these things well in our life, but to maintain joy and peace while we do it. So even the first chapter of the book is about being present. And so for me, I'm 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 showing people 
the for, for example, the first thing we have to let go of in order to be present is any form of judgment, need to control or impulse to change or fix any part of the moment. So to be present requires letting go. You have to let go of the way you think the moment's supposed to be in order to embrace the beauty of what the moment is. Because if your mind cannot accept any specific part of the moment, you cannot be present to the wholeness of the moment. You yeah, can't, heard, you I've cannot. Re- I've heard that referred to as like the snapshot where we, we kind of go around life with snapshots of how we want each moment to go or each conversation to mm, go mm. or each meeting to go or each conversation, you know, each talk with our kids, whatever. And it's amazing exactly. how much trouble I think that gets that one thing that you just identified gets us in because we come into every conversation, every situation with an end in mind, as opposed to putting our arms open and just allowing it to unfold, which is a totally different way of life. Yeah, that's why you can't. So even, even with the when someone thinks about, do you still have me on my audio, yeah. by the way? Yep, you're good. Okay, you were frozen for a sec. Yeah, your um, face was, but I could still hear you. Just in case you want to so go back to this good. time. Yeah, we're good. Okay, okay. But the, but that's a part of the book is someone thinks about being present and you would think, well, what does letting go have to do with being present? I'm like, that actually has everything to If you can't let go of the snapshot you thought of how this moment's supposed to be, the beautiful movie of the moment is lost to you because you're frustrated and you're angry and you keep tr- we unconsciously keep trying to cram reality into our rigid, tiny boxes of expectations instead of letting go of our expectations and letting it be exactly what it is. So to even think about it on the ground, I can't be present to my kids eating ice cream without letting go because it's going to be a freaking mess. (laughs) (laughs) And my kid's going to like put the ice cream bowl up to his head and have ice cream on his forehead and his hair is going to get in the bowl. It's going to be all over his shirt. And if I'm like, Oh no, like freaking clean up, clean up. No. (laughs) If I'm doing that, then all now I'm a frustrated parent who is unable to reco- to let my spirit uncoil and relax into being with my kids. Well, you know what's required to do that? Letting go. I have to let go of the way I thought. The great activist and mystic Simone Weil said, the beautiful is that which we cannot wish to change. If I need any part of this moment to be any different than what it is to be present, I cannot experience the beauty of the moment. The beauty of the moment is when I accept, doesn't mean I have to enjoy every part of it, but I have to embrace every part of it in the same way I would with things I don't like. Then I can take it all into myself. So each chapter is, you know, being present requires letting go. You know, there's a chapter on beginning again. You know, if you want to keep in your life, like what we were talking about before, if you want to keep beginning again, you have to learn to let go. You know, there's something you have to let go of in order to begin again. There's in order to experience if in order for compassion. If you want to be a person who is compassionate for others, you have to let go. If you want to suffer with people, then I can't need to fix you. I can't have to change you. I can't need to make everything right like my ego wants to do to avoid the pain of powerlessness to just be present to you. I have to let go of all of that in order to be present. I have to feel usually to be present in compassion, you have to let go of the need to avoid painful feelings. Because when I'm present to somebody who's hurting, 
if I don't fix them, if I don't save them, if I don't convince them or why they're not supposed to be hurting, I have to feel discomfort in my body being present to your suffering. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a witness. I'm not a fixer. I'm a, we have to, for compassion, we have to move from fixing to feeling. If I want to be compassionate for you, I have to be willing to feel in the moment. I have to let go of my need to avoid my own powerlessness, my own helplessness, my own need to fix everything. No, I have to let go of those things. Now I can just have compassion and be present to you and feel with you instead of trying to fix everything for you. So letting to me, I'm like letting go is everywhere, just beneath the surface of everything we're doing all the time. Sorry about that. I had a door door open. Door got opened. I thought um, I was gonna I was gonna meet all the fam and the kids and everyone's coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just a chatty bunch, so it's all right. Um, now I love that you're putting this book out, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but you know, we in the new year, people are always focused on what they're going to do more of. And mm. you know, I've got a great friend. He's a founder of an organization called Celtic Way out in Colorado, and he always talks about fall moving into winter as a great time to think about what we're letting go of. And uh -huh. so the joy of letting go moving into the new year, you know, as opposed to thinking about what we need to do or add on to our plates to make ourselves a better human being, I think a better question, at least to ask first, because I'm all about, you know, doing a, something new. I'm all about trying something different, but it's, it's a wise consideration to first ask ourselves where we need to be letting go you know, and when it's winter, my friend Scott, he always says, you know, what needs to, when, when you look out, you know, for us in Wisconsin, or he's in Colorado, he always says, when you look out at that snow, and you know, things are dying underneath it, in order to regenerate or grow again mm -hmm. in the spring, we have to ask ourselves that same question, like, what is it in our own lives that needs to die so that growth can happen? Like you said, you know, life, death, you know, resurrection, mm. you know, what needs to die so that it can rise again. And that's seriously, you, you hit it on the head. That's the story of the entire scriptures, old Testament and new Testament, which culminates in Jesus, right. Showing us that perfect example, but the whole, everything we believe in is life, death and resurrection. And so it's mm. amazing to me that we focus so much on the life, but we're scared of the death and we don't even know what to think about the resurrection. Mm. Often we don't know what to think about the letting go. So I'm excited mm. about this book. I'm excited about it getting out there into this world. And, and I think it's necessary. Man, we are, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think there's obviously so much wisdom from your friend from Colorado, because it seems as human beings, let's just speak for our own culture in the US specifically, this, this being where we are, we are a lot better about getting excited about the new than we are about letting go of the old. Mm -hmm. That's true. We would rather get pumped up, get excited about something new then embrace the death and grief of letting go of something old. The tragic irony is the new will not fully emerge until and, and be what we want it to be until the old is is let it has been let go of and has died. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's easier, and you can see this in you know religious traditions, especially our own. It's easier to get pumped up than it is to actually wake up. You know, let's yeah. get fired up. It's easier to get fired up than it is to actually grow up and growing up like one thing about me is i don't i do not trust any form 
of spirituality that does not have dying and letting go built into it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's always, it's not that I don't trust it for, for it's always a first half of life spirituality. It's always an earlier spirituality because without letting go and dying, you can receive encouragement. You can be taught a more hopeful vision of life. You can hear cheerleading for your ego. You can get a great management strategy for your false self, which are all necessary for a stage of your life. Mm-hmm. But you will never cross that sacred threshold of radical transformation without letting go. Spirituality without death and letting go always remains a first half of life form of faith because it's it, and it stays a religion that is empty and impotent in the face of life's greatest problems and God's most powerful invitations. Because there's always a sacred handing over, always a releasing, always an allowing. Like the second half of life is not grinding, grasping, demanding, imposing. Right. It's allowing, releasing, relinquishing, letting go. All of this is, is letting go of our own willpower and starting to let go and surrender into some a larger sense of self, a larger sense of our life in Christ. And, you know, Rohr talks about willpower Christianity. Mm-hmm. It only gets you so far until it does. It works until it doesn't work. And then after that, there's another invitation. But that invitation, the jo- the joy of letting go is a paradox. Because mm-hmm. letting go seems like hell. And it's actually the path to heaven. Yeah. You know, letting go doesn't, it's not connected with joy. It's connected with grief. It is grief, but mm-hmm. it is a grief that makes way for joy in the same way the cross makes way for resurrection. So it's always trusting the letting go trusting the death because hey at you know the truth of this the jesus way is we keep seeing resurrection we keep seeing new possibilities i'm more me now than i was before you know like letting go of imagine that's what i gave 10 years of my life to and i'm like this the structure of our life can change but the substance remains the same the form can change but the flow of spirit my spirit life of god my life through me with me and as me it remains the same and my ability to let go allows me to be in a great state of uncertainty right now at 38 with with two kids and bills to pay and you know my wife and i working together to make everything happen and i have a really supportive wife who's who kills it, you know, and has their own private practice. So it gives me a little space to not have to rush in and like, you know, make a bunch of money right away. I ain't going to lie. She, she, she kills it. But also just being at this age and starting over, it's my capacity for trusting the death, for letting go and saying love and God always carry me through to the other side. That's what allows all of this to keep going and why I'm not so attached to old things, why I don't get stuck in old seasons, why I don't get stuck in old places. Cause I'm like, the moment you do the real work, there's always more life ahead. That's, I feel like what I consistently am saying to people, you know, is yeah. that right there. I grew up, uh, I grew up Catholic. And one of the things I loved, and I've been having a lot of conversations about this recently, you know, in, I don't know if it was like this at imagine, but I know a lot of the churches I've been a part of in my adult life, it's, it's a, uh, it's a lot of energy. Like it's a lot of talking about the future. It's a lot about talking about where we're going. It's a lot of hugs and a lot of handshakes and a lot of, how are you doing? And things like that. It's just in general, kind of this loud space where it's mm. really the contemplative part of our spirituality has never been mm. <laughs> able to thrive in a lot of the settings I've been mm. at. And I remember growing up 
Catholic and you'd show up and there'd be a little bit of that small talk when you just showed up. But the minute that you walked through that door into the sanctuary, it was silence. And you sat there, whether you were young or old, no matter who you were, you weren't talking to anybody. You were just sitting there staring at a statue of Jesus on the cross. You know, so you're staring at death. You're not thinking about anything. Mm. And, and then you see death and then you're forced to think about what that means to you. And then you're forced. Then the next logical question is then what does resurrection look like? Because we know that we're only looking at death because that leads to resurrection. And as I've gotten a little farther into my adulthood, I miss that piece of I miss that piece of my spirituality, which was a group of people coming together for quietness and contemplation. It's like this mm. group meditation, you know, before the mass ever started. And I could take or leave the mass, but there was something pretty special mm. about all of us being, you know, friendly. And then we know we cross this threshold and it's time mm. to contemplate. It's time to think. It's time to be quiet. And again, as a little kid, like as a young kid, I would sit there and I would, like, I would think, I would contemplate in ways that, I lost in adulthood and now have more recently come back to. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that as we see the movement of, you know, God and our world moving forward, I'm hoping that we find more of those mystical contemplative spaces uh, because our world needs it so badly, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, you know, I went to Catholic school first, second and third grade and then stopped going to mass when I was pretty young and it's interesting, like even going to seminary, because I went to Fuller Theological Seminary, like, I don't know, 10, 15, I don't even remember how long ago it was, but how many people grew up like low church, charismatic, evangelical and leave as like Anglicans, <laughs> Yeah, right. you know, or like, right. like, because people fall in love with the liturgy, people fall in love with the great tradition, you know, I'm, I'm not big on formality just in everything in life. Yeah. So like a lot of it is, would be tough for me, but I did, one of my professors, Dennis Ockham, gave me the gift of appreciating, loving the great tradition of Christianity, capital G, capital T, of like Stanley Hauerwas says to be a Christian is to jump on a moving train. Hmm. And I love, and I love that. And I remember even when the pandemic first started, you know, like just going through it as a human being, but also leading through it pastorally, it was a really tough, it's been it was so hard. And that first season, when I would spend time in silence in the morning, I would listen to Gregorian chants, which mm. I didn't do for like 10 years. I used to do when I was younger, but I didn't do for so long. But I would spend time in silence, like do my breath work and listen to Gregorian chants. And it's in Latin. I don't know what they're saying, but it was like, I'm present, not just with the cause, not just with the global body of Christ, but the historical body right. of Christ. And it was that shared silence them chanting and i can using my imagination to imagine these old places and i'm there there was something really it isn't an exchange of ideas it's uh making room for presence together and you know one thing i would tell people because i can talk very loosely and playfully about letting go and acceptance but these are some of the hardest things you will ever do in your life is accepting and feeling. Cause in order to accept something, you have to feel it all the way through. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. That's why we have therapists. That's why we have groups. That's why we have friends. That's why we have confession. That's why we have community because right. people carry you through it. And the only way to get better at letting go is by letting go. Mm -hmm. 
your mind cannot figure it out. It is a mind, heart, and body aligned type of thing. And it requires all of them. And letting go is like a loosening of the clenched muscles in your body that are holding us together. It's like a, it's a surrendering of the defense mechanisms in our mind that are protecting us from pain. And it's, it's a relaxing of our vulnerable heart and a mer- an emerging of our spirit into the great love of God and of, of spirit itself. And it's a say, this is why I say in the beginning of the book, letting go is a sacred handing over. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is my encouragement because it is hard it feels like a conscious removing of multiple layers of clothes that have been covering us for as long as we remember, followed by this very naked and exposed. Like this is what it feels like internally in the letting go. If, if then it's like this naked and exposed presenting of ourselves to hope to the possibility of the presence of a loving God. And here in this unguarded, and that's an important word for me when it comes to intimacy and life with God and with other people, here in this unguarded, undefended, and wide open expanse, we discover for ourselves, not a belief, we discover experientially for ourselves that grace is all there is, that love is infinitely pouring itself out in and through the universe, that we are being deeply cared for, and we actually can be naked and unashamed in this unguarded way and letting go feels like dying because it is dying but it's a dying that it's a dying to everything that actually hinders us from everything that we want yeah and i like when you say that about how hard letting go can be and yeah sometimes we joke about it we talk about it in a career sense but you know there's so many other things that require letting go you know my kids are 17 and 19 and so we're on a stage of this really intense letting go my my wife said it's like holding on as we're letting go right it's like you got to hang in there just to let go because it's so hard um it's beautiful we're excited about it we're excited for the next stage but it's also really really hard and like right now my oldest doesn't live at home anymore and so we have this that's crazy right and so we have this table set for there's four chairs around the table and one of them one of them's always (laughs) empty and her room is a guest room now and every time i walk Mm. by it because i have to walk by it every time i go to my own room and that every time you walk by yeah a little bit first that was so true i mean it's been a it's been a little bit now but at first that's so true and then i think of you know you talked about the pandemic and and you know, thinking about letting go of people who pass on from this life. You know, I've got a a grandmother who's in her nineties. Every time my mom calls, I'm wondering if that's going to be the call. Right. Mm -hmm. And so letting go of, of people in that way, maybe even letting go from them, of, of them from this world or, people who just had a season in your life and, and you're mm. letting go of yes. them because you're into a new season. There's, there's some spaces where letting go is paramount, but mm. so brutal. And, and mm. I think you Absolutely. hit it on the head too. That's the importance of reverberating. That's the importance of community. A, a friend of mine would tell me, you know, you've got to allow that, just like you said, you've got to allow it to reverberate through your body and get mm. through to the other side before you can totally. move forward. Exactly. And I've, I've taken that quite literally that if I'm really struggling to let go, or if I'm in a space where I know it's a letting go space, or even if I just need to let go of an expectation I had for a day, you know, I'll just go out on my front porch and make sure nobody's near me and just, I, and I used to avoid this, like the plague, Kevin, <laughs> like I would avoid mm. pain at all costs. Mm. Now I just invite that because I know the yeah. moment it gets through me, 
then I'm free to move exactly. forward. And it's, totally. uh, it's a life changing, uh, you know, experiment in my case, you know, I still, I Absolutely. still feel like I'm no, experimenting with it. So. Yeah. I, I, talk, I have a chapter about acceptance in the book and I say, you know, the cross is many things. The cross is a great, you know, no to injustice and empire. The cross is solidarity with people on the margins and victims of the state. The cross, that's the beauty of the story is everything's so it's a surplus of meaning everywhere in all mm-hmm. these stories. That's what mm-hmm. I find so amazing about it. But also the cross is an icon of acceptance. And people don't talk about that that much. Mm-hmm. And I see that there. Jesus taking in, accepting and taking into himself the injustice, the pain, the evil, the suffering of the world into his body and embracing it. And I talk about, you know, forgiveness and and, and, uh, and accepting of hard things. There's these four stages. That's like my version of it is finding, facing, feeling and forgiving. And the part you were talking about with your friend, the reverberation is the feeling part. When you really accept something, it means you have to take it into yourself and feel it all the way through. I gave everything I had to that person and they still betrayed me. I have to accept that that happened. And I have to actually, on a more universal sense, it's not just about them. I have to accept we live in a world where I can give my heart to people and they won't care or they'll, or they'll right. betray me. It's a hard thing to accept about life. But if I can take that in and feel it all the way through, like people who are listening can't see it, but imagine I'm taking something and bringing it to my chest and I'm no longer denying it. This is this happened. I have to accept this. This isn't going to go the way I thought. Life doesn't, the relationships don't work the way I thought they do. And if I can accept that and feel it all the way up, feel it all the way through, it's exhausted of its energy, like Christ on the cross. And the only thing left after is resurrection, but only after you feel it all the way through. And to me, what Jesus does with all of creation and all of the universe in and through his own body, we are invited to do that same thing in the suffering of our own life all the time. It's the same process. We take it into ourselves. We feel it all the way through. And and on the other side, this unstoppable divine life force in and through and as our life keeps going, just like it did with Jesus on the resurrection, you know, and letting go is the big things in life. And it's a small argument with your partner. And it's for me, like that's such a crazy season of life, 17 and 19. My kids are four and six, Mm -hmm. but you're perpetually, even in a marriage and in your relationships, you're perpetually dying to the season we were in. We're perpetually letting go of like, my kids aren't one and three, they're four and six. Six is really different from three. Mm -hmm. Kindergarten, as silly as it sounds, it's more complex than preschool. And I have like, now with our older one, it's like, I can look back at old photos and be like, man, like, you know, the beauty and the simplicity, but there's also a complexity and a sophistication of relationship, which is great, but old relationships from imagine or whatever it is, that's that, that season, everything was clicking and flowing and it was great. And we're all connected. That was an amazing time, but it's very easy to get stuck in old seasons and try you and try to recreate them. No, that, that was there. We have to die to that and let go of it and let the next connect forms of connection emerge, but it's easy to get stuck in places. It's easy to, it's hard to let go of painful things and it's hard to let go of good things too. Cause you want to stay there. You know, you want to avoid the hard things and you want to stay in the good things. And you both have to, you have to let go of all of it to keep going. Yeah. Well, the book is the yeah, joy man. of letting go comes out January 3rd. 
We'll put links yes, to all of that on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining the conversation. Love hearing your your thoughts. Love hearing your mind. Love hearing about your heart. And excited for where your journey has set you up to go. And I'm sure the next time we talk, who knows, it'll be a, a more layers added to the adventure, which I'll be excited to hear about. So thanks again, Kevin. Sure appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I appreciate that. And for those listening, Matt's about to be on my podcast too. So we're doing we're look doing out, a little mutual mutual admiration society. We're gonna make it happen. I'm gonna we're gonna change roles really soon. Yeah, yeah, we'll switch the side to the screen. That'll be perfect. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Hey, all right, Kev. I know you uh you got probably kids coming home. You got a heart. You had an end time at three or at my time three thirty. Your time eleven thirty. <laughs> so we'll see you uh tomorrow, uh, ten o'clock your time, right? Yeah, tomorrow we'll do it at ten for about an hour, and then we can stay on and talk about stuff after okay sounds great man appreciate yeah man appreciate you all right yeah we'll see you tomorrow later bro